Hello, this is Ralph Sanchez, and today we'll be mapping the glycation on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important, not only because it causes us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, recommendations, and outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Ralph Sanchez. Ralph Sanchez is a practitioner with 25 plus years specializing in an integrative and functional medicine healthcare paradigm and the best-selling author of The Diabetic Brain in Alzheimer's Disease and the upcoming The Improved Mind Diet. Inspired by his own risk for dementia, Ralph has spent the last two decades in research on the prime risk factors and related causes of Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia. Ralph's passion is to share his insights on the Alzheimer's pandemic that is drawn from his in-depth review of the research and how that body of science can be transformed into actionable steps for risk reduction, and prevention. And although today's episode gets deep into some biochemistry, the real message is to back it up to those non-negotiables. Ralph, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Hello, Andrea. I'm excited to be here with you and really looking forward to our discussion. Me too. And I know, Ralph, that you you really specialize in Alzheimer's disease and prevention. And we're going to be looking today at glycation and ages through this particular lens. So can you start us out by explaining what glycation is and why it serves as a risk factor for Alzheimer's? Yes. Well, I'll assume that everybody is familiar with glycation and the primary way that that's viewed is through an assessment window is through hemoglobin A1C, but there are other uh, glycation assessments that are similar, which is like glycated albumin and fructosamine. But essentially, what I think a lot of physicians uh, overlook, frankly, is that they use hemoglobin A1C as a marker of long-term glycemic control, Mm -hmm. but its most valuable indication is of aging processes associated with glycation, which then go on to produce more toxic reactive uh, compounds and eventually what are termed advanced glycation end products, which characterize you know, the primary accelerated disease issues associated with aging and particularly diabetes, because it all starts with hyperglycemia, right? 
Absolutely. And so many things do. So how do those ages feed the aging process? And I guess if we just back it up, Ralph, what leads to that glycation? Is is it mostly sugar intake? Is it carbohydrate intake? Is it based on the individual and how they're processing those sugars or carbs? Well, uh, it's really mostly about diet and lifestyle. And if you are obviously overindulging in carbohydrates and sugars, and that has been going on for some time, right. then your insulin response mechanisms become overwhelmed and more resistant. And in that process, you start to slowly, and this is what happens in the aging process, and anybody who is in the space of diabetes, pre-diabetes, insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome. This is essentially what's going on with people is that you see through these biomarkers like hemoglobin A1C and blood glucose that there is a shift. There is a metabolic shift that's going on from normal glucose and insulin management, if you will, in the body, homeostasis, to one of insulin resistance and hyperglycemia. And the more blood sugar you have in circulation, it's reacting with proteins and fats yep. and your DNA in the body, which leads to a lot of reactive compounds, a lot of issues related to that, which is termed oxidative stress. And of course, inflammation is a component to all of this. In my book, The Diabetic Brain and Alzheimer's Disease, I said, you really can't separate the pathological mechanisms that underlie oxidative stress and inflammation. They're kissing cousins. If you have one instigator in one pathway, whether it's oxidative stress and, and or inflammation, uh, the other is going to dovetail sooner or later along those pathways. So whether it's an oxidative stress mechanism or a pro-inflammatory mechanism, they are synergistic in terms of the overall damage and the pathomechanisms involved in a particular disease that's associated with those issues. Yeah, I think you're speaking into this so well in that central part of the matrix where we do say everything is connected. And I think we, you know, we all know, especially as practitioners, that sugar is quote unquote bad. But this process of glycation, like you were talking about, it's a chemical process where the fat and the protein molecule bind with a sugar molecule, right? I think I have that right. And then they're making the protein fibers more stiff in the body and that protein stiffness is part of what's leading to these chronic disease states that are so interrelated, these inflammatory diseases. Do I have that right? Well, uh, you described the protein and the stiffness as, a, as one of the components. So what I previously described in terms of oxidative stress and inflammation and reactive molecules, highly reactive molecules, are really the main component. Mm. But the other that goes along with it is a phenomenon that happens to our connective tissue and the collagen therein, which is called exactly. cross-linking. Cross and so those are two different uh, items that are associated, but they're they're 
they're two separate phenomena. And the cross-linking, of course, is what happens in your connective tissue, what's a central aspect of cardiovascular disease, and the stiffness that you described in the vascular tissue or even in other connective tissue matrices in the body. So what do we do about this for our clients and patients? Sometimes they don't want to hear about things like glycation. They just want to know what to (laughs) do. And I think that, you know, we always say that sugar is getting rid of sugar is a non-negotiable. It's definitely one of the things we have to do to clear the muddy water. And then the extent that people need to go to limit or eliminate other high carbohydrate foods really depends on the individual. How do you approach this conversation with people? Well, I think about the same that everybody does. We have to do massive, massive uh, reconstruction of their diet and lifestyle once it's gotten to the point that we're talking about. Of course, if people are smart and they start earlier in life, because the longer you go in life with these bad habits, the worse it gets and the harder it is to reverse. And definitely that population has their hands full in terms of reversing because things like diabetes and all of the issues that we're talking about are largely reversible. And uh, it's just a matter of how willing, how willing is the patient, that person that you're working with, how inspired are they? How willing are they to really make a difference in their lives and what it means for the long term? It's not mm-hmm. It's not about just, you know, focusing on a biomarker, although that biomarker in the way that I work is extremely important because it's our accountability biomarker. So we use it, I use it as a way of indicating our progress or lack of progress. But ultimately, it boils down to the fundamental issues related to changing dietary patterns, changing lifestyle patterns, and making sure that you're going in a direction that's going to be self-sustaining. And you're going to be a very, very active participant in and making sure that that is an ongoing pattern that goes on, you know, indefinitely so that you can enjoy your ripe old age. And if people sustainable, yeah, if people are not interested in that long term approach, if you know, there's a lot of denial. Yes, there's frankly a lot of denial that goes on with patients. Many of them think that they can address a massive problem, you know, when the time comes to address it. And it's more difficult, much more difficult, obviously, to do so then. And a lot of people, uh, I think, really are relying on the idea that there are easy answers, silver bullets, if you will. And we all know. Yeah. And we all know as practitioners that this is. A long-term solution, I've had to uh, let patients go because we just weren't making the progress. They weren't upholding their end of the bargain in terms of their homework and the things that they have to do to make sure that the plan and the program is maturing and moving forward in the direction that we both want. So one final question for you, Ralph, when we think about the connections between the diabetic brain and glycation happening in the body, the consumption of sugar and Alzheimer's disease, 
Have you seen the industry shift in its recognition of these connections over the years? Oh, absolutely. 1,000%. When I got started in my research back in the 90s, I was just in a way flabbergasted that a lot of the research that already was starting to surface in the late 90s wasn't more mainstream. All of the risk factors associated with uh, Alzheimer's disease. And I got very busy learning and understanding and really grokking the pathomechanisms associated with Alzheimer's disease. And I started to uh, see the future that while we weren't talking about it back then in terms of risk reduction and prevention, it was all about, you know, the drug approach. Yeah. That has totally shifted, like I said, a thousand degrees into because there has been no drug solutions for this. Uh, they're throwing drugs at a disease process that's no longer reversible, which is dementia and uh, more severe uh, cases of Alzheimer's disease. And through that, the complementary, more enlightened community has said, hey, there's no solution in trying to throw a drug at a person that's already far along that path of Alzheimer's disease. We have to really come at this at the early stages of the disease processes. And we really know that uh, there are distinct stages, preclinical mild cognitive impairment, and then you know, more severe cognitive impairment associated with dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And if you're not hitting it in the preclinical stage, which is asymptomatic, mm. there are no indicators of a disease process going on, but you can start to see the shift, the metabolic shift, the endocrine shift, the pro-inflammatory shift. You can start to see the shifts that are layered on top of genetic risk factors so as I talk about in my book, this is a multifactorial, and everybody understands that by now, this yep. multifactorial disease process. And in the preclinical stage, if you have the background and understanding to look at an individual and assess that risk, then you're way ahead of the game. And there have been people like Dr. Dale Bredesen, I haven't yes. followed his work, but uh, Dr. Dale Bredesen uh, certainly talks about the reversal, even in mild cognitive impairment. And believe me, there has been a lot of research indicating the possibilities of that for some time now. Yeah, really singing our tune here. Yeah, this is nothing new, essentially. It's just that it takes 10, 20 years or more before emerging research and thought leadership in that research starts to emerge more as a consensus and a direction that people jump on the bandwagon. And right now the functional medicine community and the more progressive community that looks at nutrition and lifestyle and stress modification and uh, genetic predispositions, well, that community is saying, hey, there's uh, so much at our disposal here that we can leverage in a risk reduction and prevention approach. That should be our direction. And a lot of people are saying, hell yeah, let's do this. 
I love your passion, Ralph, and I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for making those connections, associations, doing what we like to do, well, doing what we like to call backing it up in the Full Body <laughs> Systems and Functional Nutrition Alliance community, and just really getting the word out there. Thank you, uh, Andrea. This has uh, been a pleasure to start to broach because we've just scratched the surface, of course. There is so much to this. You know, ages are a fascinating issue, and that's why I included it in my book. I think it's an overlooked factor that's not talked about enough, despite the fact that the research is huge, huge around it, not only in the biological processes associated with glycation and hyperglycemia, but in food. In food as well, too. So I'm going to leave it with this, that how you cook your food mm -hmm. is a huge potential source of ages. And that's high temperature cooking, particularly of protein. So when you're browning, and it's a well-described phenomenon in the culinary world, and that's called the Maillard reaction, where you're browning foods. Well, when you're cooking proteins at high temperature, you're accelerating age formation. There's already a significant amount of ages in a lot of animal-derived foods. But when you cook them, you really accelerate age formation. And then uh, to finalize all of this, these ages interact and promote a receptor, which is appropriately named the rage receptor. Ooh, yeah, the receptor. Yeah, the receptor for advanced glycation end products. And all of that is just a fascinating world to say the least. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ralph. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Andrea. Likewise. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. Thank you.